We want to thank you for tuning in to the Indian Run Christian Church podcast with Pastor Terry Bailey. This podcast can be found on iTunes by searching for Terry Bailey Ministries. Right now, let's get to Pastor Terry's insightful message. One thing before I get started on the sermon, uh, you know, there are just seasons in your life where you get reminded of how quickly everything goes by and the day the day is coming and we don't tell each other often enough that we love each other. So I just want to say to you, each and every one this morning, I love you. I love you as the flock of Indian Run Christian Church. I love you as my brothers and sisters in Christ and I love each of you individually. For the goodness that God puts in you. I picked one individual uh, in the 8 o'clock service. I will pick another one, though he seems to have stepped out of the room for just a moment. I, I just want Mark Overly, if he can hear me out there wherever he's at in the hallway. I want him to know that I love him. I love him for his big, empathetic heart. And for the rock firmness of his resolve to do right, no matter what it costs and for his ability at the end of the day to set himself aside in favor of the other that he loves. I just want Mark to know how much I love and admire him. Uh, Perhaps this can be something we can all get involved in doing a little bit more of, just letting people know. That said, Psalm 91, as you know, I am... Yes? Uh... I think the kids are staying in today, aren't they? Yes, they are. Eric is out at the Alive Festival. Yeah, and, and uh, kids are stuck with me today. All right. Uh, I set out on a mission eventually, eventually, to have preached all 150 Psalms. Part of that is just because I love the Psalms. And part of it is because I have observed over the years that they don't get a lot of attention. Oh, a few of them. Psalm 23 gets brought up a lot, uh, a couple of others. But most of the Psalms you don't hear dealt with publicly in any really profound way. So I'm trying to do this as I can. I will finish it one day, Lord willing, up to 91 now and a few of them uh, past that that I have already done. The first time... I remember hearing this psalm dealt with publicly. I believe you were there, Michael. We took the youth group to uh, from Shady Valley to Gatlinburg for a concert. It was Carmen, a Carmen concert in his early days when I liked him better. Uh, I, I'm not trying to pronounce judgment on Carmen. I'm just saying musically he turned a whole lot more Las Vegas as he went, and it kind of lost me, and uh, that, that's all okay. But uh, I, I really liked him. In his early days. And at that concert, he sang a song called Great God. And in the song, part of it, he describes an encounter he had with some Mormons who were trying to convince him that God is an exalted human being and that all of us can be exalted and become gods in our own Writes And they were quoting scripture to convince him, saying, see here this scripture, it says God has hair. See here this scripture says God's hand wrote on the wall. And in all these scriptures it says God's eye is everywhere watching. See he has hair and a hand and eyes. He's a man, an exalted man, but a man like you and I are men. Now I give this to you without the rhyme scheme. Uh, I, I will try to provide the rhyme scheme in the answer that Carmen gives. 
he says to them, stay in your scriptures till you fully understand the meaning of these verses you've been picking. The psalm says God protects us with his feathers and his wings. But that don't mean God's a great big chicken. So I throw that in for free. More important thing in the psalm is this. We should dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. That is the place to be in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, we have in our minds a few different understandings of this idea of dwelling in or living in shadow. And and they're not all positive. And and the Bible does use some of these less positive uh, ideas concerning shadow. Uh, how how that's a, a shadow is a dismal place to be and often a scary place to be. You're familiar with it, the valley of the shadow of death. None of us think that's a pleasant, happy vacation spot that we want to go to. That's not the feeling you're supposed to get from that term. Those who dwelt in the shadow and darkness will see a great light because the light is obviously preferable to shadow and darkness. This is a biblical theme, and it's still a theme with us if we think about the idea of living in shadow. There's another one uh, where we think uh, people say, I have lived in the shadow of such and such a person all my life, and I'm tired of it. You know, they have outshone me, they have got all the glory, I'm down here unseen because I'm living in their shadow. I want to get out of their shadow. I want to make a name myself I remember I remember in high school uh, I ran track all through high school I had for three years three regular events I ran the mile and I ran the mile relay and then I did the long jump now as a long jumper there was another guy a year older than me Dean Cooper was his name and he could jump considerably farther than I could so I was the second long jumper for the eminence eels, just throwing that out, which meant that in the course of the season, since the other school probably had at least one guy better than me, and there was only three places, only just occasionally would I pick up one point at some track meet long jumping, but I stuck with it, jumping for three years in the shadow of Dean Cooper. Dean was a year older, so he graduated ahead of me. And I thought to myself, at long last, I will be the lead broad jumper. And Greg Gore, still a friend of mine, joined the team as a freshman and jumped about a foot further than me on his first try. From that point forward, I had two regular events. The mile and the mile relay, because I determined I was not going to spend my senior year jumping in the shadow of a freshman. Just let him have it. And I suppose that was an immature and selfish attitude. I might still have earned another point or so for the team overall, but I, I did not. And we, we, we get this. Living in someone's shadow means that they outshine you and get all the glory and you get none of it. But the more important sense of this phrase 
and what the Bible wants us to understand here in the 91st Psalm and in many other similar scriptures is that living in someone's shadow means to be living in their protection, to be sheltered by them, to be watched over by them, to be kept safe by them. This is to dwell in someone's shadow. I'm going to tell you that much of our problem today, but also in many days past, is that we cling to the first two ideas and don't ever get down to the third one where God is concerned. There are people who keep God in an arm's distance at least because God is big and scary and they'd rather not have anything to do with him. He frightens them. And I do understand that. It is biblical Hebrews 10. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I get why Isaiah, when confronted with the presence of God, said, I am undone! For I'm a man with unclean lips. I get why Moses was not allowed to look upon the face of God, for he would have perished in the very attempt. I get it all. How very Big and scary God is. And a lot of people don't want to come into the presence of God because they only see that side of the equation. And I get all the way back to Adam and Eve how each of us, in at least in our less good moments, wants to be in the center. We want to be the one that shines. And friends, you will never outshine God. You just never will. He will always be bigger and grander and more glorious than you or me because He's God. And we're not. And there are always people who will not come to God because they want to sit on the throne. They will not submit to God because they want to be the masters of their own destiny. And we all understand at some level that coming to God means the submission of my will to His great will. And there are people who just will not have it. But they have not yet understood what it really means to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, to be watched over by Him, upheld by Him, sustained and sheltered by Him. And we really need to get to this understanding. The psalm speaks of how thorough is that protection, that benefit of living in the shadow of God says he protects you from the snare of the trapper all those devices that have been laid out to cause you to stumble and fall into ruin he protects you from the deadly pestilence he protects you from the terror that creeps by night or the destruction that stalks at midday. He protects you from the arrow. He protects you from the spear. He protects you from the lion. He protects you from the snake And more, if you want to read every verse in the 91st Psalm. Sounds kind of like if we live in the shadow of the Almighty, we are invincible, invulnerable, safe from harm of every kind. And no shortage of people have read the Psalm and other related scriptures in exactly that way. 
I can tell you that uh, the 90th and 91st Psalms are traditionally ascribed to Moses, therefore the oldest works in the collection of the Psalms. I have preached the 90th Psalm on dozens of occasions. 91st, not so often. This is probably the first time I've ever preached the 91st Psalm, but it's written by Moses. And that should inform us about some things. Because Moses certainly experienced a grand share of divine protection. Moses was being protected when he was too young to know that he was being protected. When his mother put him in that little basket and set him afloat on the Nile River, he should have perished then and there. It was a wildly desperate thing to do and she would never have done it except in the most extreme circumstances. And everybody here understands it. Can you picture taking your little baby and putting them in a basket? and setting them afloat on the river and waving goodbye through your tears? Yet the hand of God is over the waters and rules in the affairs of men. And Moses was spared. Moses probably should have died in that kerfuffle over the guards and the Hebrews and the violence, but he did not. And when many years and trials later he was recalled to Egypt by God to be instrumental in God's plan to liberate the Israelites from affliction and slavery, Moses had this experience. When the Egyptians had only blood to drink, the Israelites in Goshen had water. When the Egyptians had only frogs for their closest companions for a period of time, the Israelites were spared that inconvenience. When the crops and the stock of the Egyptians suffered, the Israelites in the land of Goshen were spared. And when the death fell, On the firstborn of the Egyptians, those whose thresholds were marked with the blood of the Lamb in the land of Goshen were spared. The Israelites passed through the sea. The Egyptians, not so much. And so you see Why it says things like a thousand will fall on your one hand and ten thousand on another, but the destruction will not touch you. You will see it only with your eyes. Moses experienced a big, big share of divine protection. So there's that. Moses knew the flavor of frustration and disappointment. Moses came to the point where he said, if I have to continue in this plan that you have laid out, God, just kill me now. And he meant it, just kill me now, because I would prefer that to moving forward the way things are. And Moses knew 
what it was to suffer because of your own failures. Having brought the Israelites to the brink of the promised land, Moses himself was not permitted to enter, becoming the last of a troubled and troublesome generation that must perish before the reward could be obtained. And Moses died. As is common to all men, Moses died. So there's that too. And it leaves you with this question. Are we protected in the shadow of the Almighty? Or are we not? Because it seems to be a one hand and the other sort of thing. Some people reconcile the difference by saying that Moses was protected as long as he dwelt in the shadow of the Almighty, that is, walked in the plans of God, but all his troubles came from stepping outside of that. I I, I know the force of that argument, and I can see that that is at least partly true, but I think there is more. I said that uh, Psalm 91 is nearly unique in being ascribed to Moses. Only two of the 150 Psalms are. But it is totally unique, Psalm 91, in this. It is the only Psalm actually quoted by the devil. Yeah, I didn't read this part, didn't have Jim read this part. It goes on down, it says, here's how complete the protection is. Here is how complete the protection is. God will send his angels to lift you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Not just protection from the lion and the snake and the arrow and the spear and the pestilence and the terror of dark. Not just those things. God won't let you stub your bare toe good and hard. Now, I'm not trying to make light of stubbing your toe. How many of you have ever stubbed a bare toe good and hard? It gets all your attention at the moment. But in the big scheme of things, it's small. He says the protection even extends to this. And Satan quoted that verse. He quoted it to Jesus. You will find it in Matthew 4. And in Luke as well, I believe, but in Matthew 4. From the pinnacle of the temple, Satan says to Jesus, Jump. You got nothing to worry about if you do because it says, it says, I'm quoting the scripture you know, God will give his angels charge over you and they will bear you up with their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone, much less splatter all over the pavement a hundred feet below. So jump. You've got nothing to worry about. The promise has been made. Now, there is the question here of whether this is a specifically messianic psalm. Some people think so, particularly given the way that Satan used it talking to Jesus. Was he talking to Jesus just because he was the Messiah, or was he talking to Jesus in a more general way as one who stayed in the shadow of the Almighty and walked in the will of God? Or was it both? 
Because I think it's important to recognize that however messianic the psalm may be, I believe the promises extend to the rest of us. Two, one way or the other. But Satan, when he quoted it to Jesus, was taking this tack of interpretation. The protection is absolute. If you are really walking in the will of God, you got nothing to worry about, so jump. That was Satan's interpretation. And here's what you need to know. Jesus wasn't having it. His answer was, You shall not test the Lord your God. And I want you to hear that phrase with the echo of a few other things. I want you to hear it with the echo of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said, God may save us from the flame, or God may not. It does not matter because either way, we are not going to worship your lousy idol. Whatever God does will be right. Whether we burn or not, God will be right. And we will walk with God and stay in the shadow of the Almighty. I want you to hear it that way. And know that like Moses... Jesus also experienced divine protection. Of course, Jesus may have had some of that in his own hands. But there were times when the people of Capernaum meant to kill him, meant to drag him to a cliff and throw him off. And their plots were foiled by the providence of God. And there was a time when the disciples were worried sick over a storm on the Sea of Galilee in which they were caught, and Jesus was so completely unworried as to be taking a nap at the moment. And he rebuked them for their lack of faith, and with his own hands and voice he calmed the storm. So in his own hands or in the hands of the Father, you figure it out. But Jesus experienced a lot of divine protection, so there's that. But don't you think it was a real struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus wept and sweat blood and said, God, if there is some way, any way, any other way for me to avoid this plan that we have set our feet toward? Nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. The will of God, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? The will of God. It was through walking in the will of God just shortly after that that Jesus hung on the cross in agony. And when he cried out, and I realize he was quoting another psalm, but nevertheless I think it was the cry of a heart overburdened with pain and maybe even fear. He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This too came from walking in the will of God. And then he died. So there's that too. And we're right back where we were with Moses. Are you protected? 
Or are you not? So here's how I reconcile the question. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? And every promise was kept. Oh, in a more surprising way than we anticipated for sure. Didn't see that coming, although they should have. Jesus rose from the dead and every promise was kept and we are told that in his resurrection we are guaranteed our resurrection and every promise will be kept for we will rise to a life free from trouble and sorrow and death and dwell in the shadow of the Almighty forever. I'm not saying that you don't find some protection here and now. I expect most of you are like me. Raise your hand if you feel like you have been protected and upheld at times. But now raise your other hand if you've been crushed. You see? But I'm telling you the day is coming when every promise is kept. And we find out what it really means to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. And in the meantime, we've been through the beginning and the middle of Psalm 91. I want to get down to the end now. And I want to pick four phrases that you should remember as the core of the promise for your life here and now if you dwell in the shadow of God. And here they are. You will find them if you're reading God will be with you. Whatever happens, God will be with you. And now we get it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. This is the promise. Cling to it. In whatever happens in the midst of this dark and fallen world, God will be with you. Second, God will honor you, it says. This is important. Each of us has probably received some honors or accolades in the course of our life and they were good and we enjoyed them. But I want you to imagine that day when God looks at you and says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want you to imagine the time when the words of God apply to you specifically. This is my child in whom I am well pleased Enter, come in, come home. God will honor you. He will be with you and he will honor you. God will satisfy you. In the previous Psalm of Moses, Psalm 90, Moses specifically prayed, O God, satisfy us early with your loving kindness. 
David came to the end of his day surrounded by circumstances that most of us would regard as regrettable. And yet David let go of this life completely satisfied with his treatment at the hands of God. I said that Moses died like all other men, that Moses was forbidden entry to the promised land, but when you get to talk to Moses in eternity, I think you will find that he is satisfied with the will of God. God will be with us. God will honor us. God will satisfy us fourth and last. We will see his salvation. Have you seen it? Has the picture begun to be clear to you what he did for you? for me what it means for this is the greatest blessing of our life to see the salvation of God all promises are coming and right now here's the four you should cling to God will be with you, honor you, satisfy you, and allow you to see his salvation. And if you haven't seen it yet, you can. We want to take a moment to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, for setting aside time each week for the Indian Run Christian Church podcast. You can find out more about the church by visiting our website at www.christforeastcanton.com. That's www.christforeastcanton, all one word, dot com. On behalf of Pastor Terry and all the folks at Indian Run Christian Church, I pray God's blessing on you and your family.